So the title of this message is Access by Faith. And last week, Scott told us about a woman named Hetty Green, the Witch of Wall Street. And the illustration was so good that I'm going to use it in part today as well. For those of you that don't remember, she was the richest woman in America during the Gilded Age between the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Her net worth in today's dollars ranged between $2.3 and $4.6 billion. She was a standout woman in her day. She was known for her wealth, but she was also known for being extremely miserly. It's said that she wore the same black dress and undergarments every day, and she rarely washed them. She only washed them when she absolutely had to because she was so worried about spending money on soap. She didn't wash her hands either because she didn't want to waste the money on soap. She didn't heat a lot of her food or cook her food. She didn't want to waste the money on the fuel. She was extremely miserly. It says that she kept dry biscuits in her old carriage when she was traveling so she wouldn't have to stop and buy food. It's astounding how much wealth this woman acquired and yet how unwilling she was to access it and to spend it on normal life needs. When her young son Ned broke his leg, she wasted time going about looking for a free clinic when she has billions of dollars She didn't want to waste her money on her son, so she went about looking for a free clinic, and when that didn't work out, she went to her regular doctors, paid the bills, and because she had waited so long, Scott told us this last week, his leg began to set, it set wrong, and eventually he had to have his leg amputated. Imagine that. I mean, I don't like taking my kids to the doctor. I know it's expensive, but they break their leg. You've got to take them to the doctor, man. By all appearances, Hetty Green loved money more than anything else. And she was unwilling to use it for herself or the hurting people around her. A lot of poor people in her day, destitute poor. She wouldn't open her purse. She wouldn't access the money she had to her. The number, how much money she had in her account, was what mattered to her. Scott used this illustration to show that it's possible to have great wealth and not use it to not access it or to not write a check, as he said. We as believers have been given incredible wealth through our adoption into the family of God. Through faith in Christ's work at the cross, we've been made children of God and heirs with God. Romans 8.17 says that if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know what that word heirs means? It means you're an inheritor. It means you have an inheritance. Well, what is that inheritance? What are we going to inherit? Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That word riches is the Greek word plutos. But the Greek word is plutos. And you know what plutos means, the Greek? Wait for it. It means riches. (laughs) It means abundance. It means fullness. It means an overflow of wealth. But basically it means riches. So remember that word plutos. We have received forgiveness of sins. We've received salvation according to the riches of his grace. Not from what we've done, not by our good works, not by being religious or cleaning ourselves up. We've received it as a free gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. What an awesome thing. What a freeing thing to know that God receives me based on what Jesus Christ has done, not on my striving. That's an awesome truth. If you get a hold of that, it will change your Christian walk. We've received forgiveness of sin, salvation. That alone would be enough but there's more. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you 
according to the riches, there's that word plutos again, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Scott talked about that last week. God wants to strengthen us with might, with dunamis, with power in our inner being. He wants to strengthen us. And the result of that is joy. I'll tell you what, when I'm weak and I feel weary and discouraged and God strengthens my inner man, it makes me joyful. It makes me joyful. But that all comes from the riches of his grace. His riches include giving you strength in your inner man when you're weak. When God strengthens our inner man, it makes us joyful. Paul said in Ephesians 3.8 that the good news he was called to preach, which is the gospel, was the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. Friend, in ancient days when ships would be on the seas, they had a device by which they would plumb the depths. They would take a piece of iron or a stone and a long cord or rope, and they would drop it into the ocean or into the sea to test, where's the bottom? Where's the bottom? They would plumb to see, what's the depth? Are we at 600 feet? Are we at 300 feet? Are we at 1,000 feet? Listen, the riches of Christ that he has for you and I are unsearchable. They're unplumbable. You can't, they drop the the weight down and they say, we don't have enough rope here. We can't go any deeper here. It's beyond our comprehension. No matter how much you study the word of God and get a revelation of his love, you will never fully comprehend the depth of his love. It's unsearchable. The riches of his grace. Paul said, I was called to preach this gospel. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was not out to start a new religion in the first century. He was called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He said in Philippians that he considered everything that was previously valuable in his life as loss and even as dung compared with the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He said, for me to know Christ, it's worth more than all the accolades I had, all the position I had as a Pharisee taught under the feet of Gamaliel. All of that is nothing to me. It's less than nothing. It's dung compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. You see, Paul saw the riches of Christ as more than what he got from Jesus. He understood that the unsearchable treasure was Christ himself. Not, God, what are you going to give me? Are you going to answer these prayers? Are you going to do what I ask you to do? Are you going to make my life better? He said, Jesus, you are my unsearchable riches. Remember what God said to Abraham? He said, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What a great verse. God said, I'm your shield. I'm your reward, Abram. It's not what I give you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to make you a great man of faith. I'm going to bless your seed after you. Through you is going to come the line of the Christ who will be a blessing to the whole world. But Abram, I'm your reward. I'm your reward. Not what you get from me. It says in Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches, plutos, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. That's the riches. Jesus Christ himself. He is that great treasure. So if we truly have this treasure in earthen vessels, this incomparable treasure of God in Christ, why do so many of us live like Hetty Green? Possessing the vast riches of God and yet going about in dirty clothes and eating stale biscuits. Because as one preacher said, we have as much of God as we want. I believe that's true. 
We have as much of God as we want. He's made himself completely accessible to us. And he says, come and get it. Come to me. I want to make you rich through the riches of my son. You see, the treasure of Christ must be sought to be found. Jesus said, seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened. The treasures of Christ are to be mined. The treasures of Christ, it says in Colossians 2, 3, in whom or in Christ are hid or hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, the riches of Christ, they're hidden in him. Not like in the center of the earth where you can't mine them out. They're hidden so that the person who seeks with all their heart can find them, can tap them, can understand who he is and understand his heart through his spirit. If, if the treasures of Christ are worth so much, would he lay them on the street for anybody passing by? Like, oh, look, the treasures of Christ. No, they have to be sought after. They're free, but we have to do some, some labor to find them, to seek him and find them. We learned in Ephesians that through him, we, both Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. I love that word, access. We have access by one Spirit to the Father in that in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Access. That means the treasure door is open, friends. Our part is to come. The Father tore the veil of the Holy of Holies when Jesus finished His work at Calvary. What was He saying? He's saying it used to be that one man, only the high priest who was specially selected by God and men, could come into my holy of holies, my presence, once a year. They could only draw near once a year. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, God tore that thick curtain in two and he said, it's open. Guys, it's open for you to come. It's not just for Scott. It's not just for Bob. It's not just for for this one or that one. It's for all. Come, come. What a great thing. Access, access. I wrote this, God has been working to sheathe the flaming sword which barred the sweet fellowship that God had with man in the cool of the day. Remember after the fall? God put an angel at the east side of the garden with a waving flaming sword so that man wouldn't come back and in his sinful state eat from the tree of life and live forever in a sinful state? That must have broke God's heart because God enjoyed walking with Adam. God enjoyed those walks in the cool of the day when they would talk about everything. And when that flaming sword was there, that that fellowship was broken. Man, God, that must have broke God's heart to have to do that. But he had a plan even before man fell, didn't he? He had a plan to send his son for ordained before the foundation of the world to die on a cross so that that veil would be torn, so that that flaming sword is no longer between you and God, so that God could say, come, come to me into my throne room of grace, by faith in the blood of Jesus. You know, the blood of Jesus does more than just make you legally right with God, legally clean from your sin. It also cleanses you from a guilty conscience. The blood of the bulls and the goats couldn't do that. The old sacrifices could not take away sins in that way, but the blood of Christ does. It takes away that pointing finger of guilt and shame. And friend, if you're still struggling with that today over sins that you've confessed and repented of, Believe on the blood of Jesus Christ to take away your guilt. It's only your unbelief that makes you still feel that guilt and shame. Jesus' blood washes away your guilt. So you can come boldly into his presence and have fellowship with him. So you can become a partaker of his riches in Christ. 
Listen, God is not calling us like a master chides his dog who's gotten into the garbage. You know, I've got a dog. Some of you have dogs. I've got a terrier. It's a rat terrier. Beautiful dog but, and mostly obedient, but sometimes he just does disobedient things. Right? Gets up on the couch. He knows he's not supposed to be on the couch. And I call him over, Tenny, what are you doing? His ears go back and he slinks over to me. Right? That's not how God is calling us. God is not saying, Where, what, what are you doing? Where have you been? And we're like, oh God, I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming. No. God is lovingly calling us. Come. Come boldly into my presence. Everything we need is there. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, we've been called into the fellowship of His Son. Do you ever wonder what's my calling as a Christian? There's lots of them in the Scriptures. One of them is you're called into fellowship with His Son. God wants you to walk with Jesus. It's a wonderful calling. We've been called into fellowship with His Son. And it says, 1 John 1.3 says, Truly our fellowship, or koinonia, is with the Father and with the Son. Guys, God wants us to walk with Him. God hasn't called us to a dead religion where we come to church on Sunday, put in our time, do our duties and look good, you know, and then go out and just live our life and forget God. God has called us to a living relationship with Him. He's called us to life from the dead. He's called us to be able to answer us and speak to us in everything that pertains to us. Everything. I think that's great. I think that's awesome. We've been called to fellowship. What a privilege. If you have your Bible, my main text here is Luke chapter 10. We're starting verse 38. It says, Now it came to pass as they went that he, or Jesus, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. The kind and hospitable thing to do. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Listen, Mary was a good believer, good follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into her house, she invited him in. She started to work on preparing a meal. She started, and, and maybe she was trying to overdo it. Do any of you ever do that when you, you don't like to be hospitable? You don't like to have people over because you think you've got to make it so big? You've got to make it so grand and it's just so much work. You're like, oh, well, just forget it. Maybe that's why she was frustrated. We don't know. But she began to serve and Mary, her, her sister, Jesus comes in and begins to teach. And Mary just comes and sits on, at Jesus' feet and begins listening. It says that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the Pharisee, the, the religious teacher. Ah, Paul would have given anything to be where Mary was, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, listening obediently, lovingly, attentively. Martha sees this and she's going about doing her stuff, setting the table, and she's thinking, Martha, what are you doing? Why aren't you helping me? And she's putting all this burden on herself and she's cumbered about, she's anxious, She's troubled in her mind. She doesn't have peace. She's serving God. I mean, she's serving the Son of God right there. But she's all agitated inside. She's turbulent inside. She's not at peace. She's not at rest. And she gets so anxious and frustrated that she actually 
bosses Jesus around, right? Isn't that what she did? She came to Jesus probably on the side and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Does anybody ever say that in the church? (laughs) Don't you care that I'm doing this all by myself? Doesn't anybody see that I'm cleaning the toilets? I'm serving in this ministry. Where's my help here? And then she says, bid her, therefore, that she come help me. Boy, that's being bossy to Jesus, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus, you tell her to quit listening at your feet and come help me. And Jesus answered, verse 41, said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful or anxious and troubled about many things. I love this. Listen, but one thing is needful. The Greek word, it means necessary. One thing is necessary. One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Did you know that nowhere else in the Bible did Jesus say one thing is necessary? Nowhere else in the whole Bible. What was he talking about? What was he referring to? Clearly, he was referring to verse 39, where it says, Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She was listening at Jesus' feet. And Martha said, just come and help me. Martha was doing something good. Mary was doing something better. Mary was developing intimacy with Jesus. Mary was listening to his heart, looking at his expression, hearing what he was saying. I don't normally quote from the New Living Translation, so you have to give me a little bit of grace here, Scott. But it puts it in a way that I think is really really good. Jesus said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. You know, we wake up, we got to go to work. I've got to go to work. I've got a business. I've got employees. I've got a family, right? I got to do all these things. But the most important thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the most important thing. That's the one needful thing for us believers So one needful thing, the most necessary thing, is to develop intimacy with Jesus. Have you discovered the most needful thing in your life is to learn the practice of sitting at his feet and listening to his word? Serving him is important, but primary is intimacy with Jesus. God is inviting us to fellowship, a fellowship that will equip us to serve, right? God wants us to serve, but he wants us first to sit at the feet of Jesus. Imagine if the President of the United States, POTUS, invited you to the White House to talk with you personally. Some of you would be like, nah, no thanks. Well, imagine it's a different president, one you like, okay? Would you ignore the invitation? Would you ignore it if the President of the United States sent you a certified letter and said, I want you to come to the White House and eat with me and I want to talk to you? Yet the King of Kings and ruler of eternity calls us to sit at his feet to come and dine with him, to walk with him, to pour out our hearts to him, to take freely from his abundant riches. Imagine if you snub the president's invitation. Outrageous. I, I don't care if you don't like him, you should at least respond. Yet how often do we neglect Almighty God's invitation to fellowship? I'm too busy to seek you, God. I know you understand. You know I got this business to run and four kids and kids after school activities and volunteering for ministry, and, and oh, you know, I've got a wife too that you gave me to take care of. Isn't it enough that I go to church on Sundays and, and occasionally on Wednesdays? God told Jeremiah that his people have forgotten me 
days without number. Jeremiah 2.32. And Romans 10 says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and stubborn people. Imagine with me, if you will, Jesus with wounded hands, outstretched, saying, I'm waiting for you to come. I am and I have everything you need, but you're ignoring me. Do we have time for hours of Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, video games, sports, working out, spending time with family and friends, but no time to come to him by the access his blood has purchased for us? I don't say this to condemn you, my friends, but to challenge you. For many of us, it is time to repent. That means to change our minds and to change our actions. It's time for us to change how we've been living our Christianity. Jesus will accept our repentance and receive us without reservations. His arms are still open. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you snub the president, you're not getting a second invitation. You snub some friends, you're not getting a second invitation. But how often have we ignored Christ's invitation to come and dine with him? To come, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. How often have we neglected that? Yet he says, my arms are still open. Isaiah 50 verse 4, love this verse. Isaiah said, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned or the instructed that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned or the instructed. I know that's King James, and I'm going to work you through it. Okay, Friend, God has things to speak to you when you take time to get alone with him and turn off and shut down all distractions. He has things to show you that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get it in church. He has things to teach you by his spirit in his presence. Isaiah said, God woke up his ears. He said, he wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. Why? Because Isaiah came to God. Every morning he got up and he began to seek God. Opened his word and wait on God. And asked God, what does this mean, God? I don't understand this. Show me, teach me. And it says, God opened his ear. He woke up his ear. Why? so that Isaiah could learn and Isaiah could be refreshed, but so that Isaiah could have a word in season to him that is weary. Do you understand what that means? It means that God would speak something to Isaiah that was a word from God to go and share with someone who was broken at the end of their rope, discouraged and ready to give up. A word in due season. Have any of you ever received one of those? I I have many times. I've received them from Scott. When he's preaching, I've received him from ministers on the radio. I've received him from my wife, from friends. God can speak. It seems like it's just tailored right to you, right? Right to your circumstances, right to the season that you're in. That's God speaking a word to you in due season. And God did that for Isaiah. Friends, God wants to do that through every believer in Jesus Christ. As you come to him, it's not just for the ministers. It's for every one of us. As you come to Jesus Christ and sit at his feet and learn of him, He's going to give you stuff. He's going to speak to you from his word. He's going to show you people to pray for. He's going to give you spiritual understanding and riches from his treasure house. And you're going to have something to give other people. Friends, have we ever lived in such a broken world as we do today? 
There are a lot of hurting, desperate people out there. All over the place. They're desperate. They're lonely. They're, some are suicidal. Kids today are cutting themselves. That didn't happen when I was in high school. People are broken. They're living for themselves, for their lust, for their pleasures, living for today, and they know that it's empty. They need an answer. And we have the answer. It's Christ, the treasure, the riches are in Christ. He's the healing. He's the balm of Gilead. He's the refreshing to the weary. He's the healing for the broken. He's the instruction for the ignorant. He's everything. And I want to be a person that has a word, has something, has life to share with someone who's broken. My brother backslid many years ago, and now he's a raving atheist. I mean, he's raving. I pray God don't kill him because he's so dishonorable and blasphemous against God. And I heard this story three years ago, four years ago. There was some guy at work. My brother is also a contractor, and he had a subcontractor working for him. And the subcontractor was a man, didn't have many friends. And he said to my brother, Dave, you know, could we get together sometime for lunch or whatever? You know, I just said, I just need somebody to talk to. And Dave was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, didn't matter to him. Didn't matter to him. And within a couple of months, the man committed suicide. My brother has to live with that weight on his soul. He ignored a person who was crying out for help. Now, my brother didn't have anything to give because he's rejected Christ. You and I have something to give. We have life. We have life in Jesus Christ. You may not be able to expound it eloquently. Just tell what Jesus has done for you. Come into his presence and let him teach you. He will take you from glory to glory. This gospel is not about making people religious, but leading people to the reality of Christ. It's real. Christ is real. Friend, if it's not, if it's religion, I don't want anything to do with it. I really don't. I don't want to waste my time. I was in a church in Texas, and this pastor was preaching, and he had a beautiful church. I mean, gorgeous. Everything was perfect. The worship team, everything was orchestrated. I mean, probably 2,000 people per service, multi-campuses and streaming the video of the pastor to other places. And I was in the third or fourth row with my dad and I'm visiting, it's Easter Sunday. And this pastor, even though you look at the surrounding, you think, boy, this has got to be a dead church. He was actually alive. He had a lot of great points and he was preaching the truth of God's word. And he said, you know what? I was the only one saying amen in the church. I probably look like a weirdo. <laughs> now all these rich Texans sitting there dressed in their Sunday best. And the pastor said, you know what? If this is just religion... If this is not life, he said, I'd rather be on a canoe out somewhere fishing. And I said, amen, because that's really how I feel. Everybody erupted in laughter, and I was a little embarrassed. But I understood what he was saying. If this life in Christ is not real, I don't have time for religion. Do you know what I'm saying? But it is real. It's life. He has given me life. I have come to that place sitting at his feet, and he has given me life. He's opened up his treasure house to me. I am very thankful. I'm, I'm gonna, I might get in trouble for this. I am very thankful for the sound, biblical, expository teaching here at Root River Church. It's a tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing. But friends, alone, it is not enough for you or for me. It's not enough. If you only had one wonderful meal a week, how do you think you'd be in shape physically? I think you'd be pretty emaciated. You're laughing. You might lose some weight, right? <laughs> you could do it in a few months, right? As excellent as the meals are here on Sunday, the Word of God being preached, it's a smorgasbord of food, of meat and milk, life for us, right? 
It's wonderful. You guys were blessed. There's a lot of churches out there that there's not this great teaching. I know, I've been at some of them. And thank God for it, and it's going to continue. But you need more, and so do I. And Jesus says, come to me. I'm not going to leave you orphans. When I leave, he told the disciples, I'm going to come to you. I have sent my spirit, the Paracletos. He's going to teach you all things concerning me. He's going to bring you into fellowship with the Father and with me. Right? I don't know about you. I need to, I typically, unless I'm fasting, I need to eat every day. Usually three square a day, right? Come to Jesus. He will feed you. He will nourish you. The best service for Jesus comes from intimacy with Jesus. If you don't have that life with God, that intimacy with Christ, you're just going to be like Martha. You're going to be irritable and, you know, I'm serving God and I just love it. It's really great being on the worship team, right? You're going to be frustrated. You need God to come and refresh you with Jesus, refreshing you in his presence, speaking to you, teaching you, giving you energy for the ministry. Jesus himself, the son of God, often withdrew to solitary places. He at times pray all night, right? Why? Because he needed the life of God more than he needed sleep. We think, oh man, if I don't get my eight hours of sleep, you're not going to like me in the morning. But Jesus often would pray all night. He would go aside from his disciples and, and seek his father so he could be recharged in his father's presence. If the master did it, how much more do we need to do it? How does this look practically in everyday life? I want to encourage you to develop, if you don't already have it, a consistent quiet time or prayer closet where you get alone with God, you shut out all distractions, and you feed on His Word and you develop your prayer life. And you listen to God. Be still and know that I am God. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it's always going to line up with God's Word. God never contradicts Himself. A quiet time or a prayer closet, an inner life sitting at Jesus' feet is not optional if you want to be strong and have life to offer the world. If you want to have something to offer the desperate, broken people that Jesus came and died for, you've got to be alone with Him. You've got to seek Him more than once a week, guys. I want to tell you something in your quiet time if you begin to do this, if you don't already. You will draw things from your time with God that will bless you and they'll bless others. God longs for fellowship with you and me. What a privilege. What an access. Listen, our access is not based on our worthiness, but on our trusting in the shed blood of Jesus. Psalm says that man at his best state is still vanity. On my best day, if I'm set aside a day, praying and fasting and seeking God and reading the word, oh, hallelujah, praise God, I am still a vanity. I'm nothing. I'm still a human with a sinful nature, but God gives me his grace and says, I accept you on the merits of my son, on my free grace. You can't earn it. Imagine if Hetty Green had used her wealth to bless others. Imagine if God could use you and I to fulfill our potential by our coming and drawing on his inexhaustible riches. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All your need according to his plutos, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, that means this life, 
and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. His divine power, His promises have given to us all things that pertain to this life and to godliness. Listen, God is going to speak to you spiritually strengthening things. He's going he's to speak to you things from His Word. But He's also going to guide you in the practical things of life. You know, it's not just this eye-in-the-sky, fairy-tale, fluffy bunny stuff. It's God saying, I want to be intimately acquainted with you in every area of your life. Your business, your family. Do you have decisions about your future, about going to college or not, or about, about taking this job or not? Get into that place of intimacy with Christ. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me tell you something. I run a business. I'm always praying. Not just my quiet time. Lord, what do I do with this problem? You know, because I have an intimate life with God, and and it's not perfect, it needs work, but because I have that, the Holy Spirit speaks to me in things pertaining to my job. Aaron, I know you're crabby at that customer. I know you're irritated, but don't you dare take a phone call with them and express that frustration. Be patient with them. Be loving with them. That's a result of the Holy Spirit working in my life through intimacy with Jesus. Practical, right? Practical. God wants to work in our lives in everything. You know what? The most important thing for me as a father of three kids, two teenagers and one 11-year-old, most important thing is what Jesus said. One thing is needful. One thing is necessary. Learn to sit at my feet. That's the most important thing. For my oldest son, Evan, who's thinking about college, am I worried about him going to college? I'm not. If he develops his own personal quiet time, prayer life with God and is intimate with God, God will direct him what he should do. Should he take a gap year? Should he go to Cape and Ray? Should he go to college? Should he start a business? What should he do? God will guide him because he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Are you struggling with sin? Jesus is going to help you with that. He's got everything for us to get deliverance from a bondage to sin that we can't seem to break. Ask my kids. They will tell you every morning I wake them up and they don't like it. And I say, come on, get up, get up, get up. And I have all kinds of methods of waking them up. Don't ask them what those are. (laughs) And I want them to have quiet time with God. I want them to develop their own life with God. Because if they do that, I don't care. I told my son this yesterday. If you become a garbage man and you have a life with God, you'll be content and you'll be in the center of his will. I don't care what you do. But you've got to know God. God is everything we need in Christ. And he says, come and get it. Come and get it. I hope that makes you hungry to know him more. I hope that doesn't make you cower and feel, oh, that's a yoke. It's not a yoke. It's a privilege to come before him. It's a privilege to develop intimacy with Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that Your Word is truth and it's life. God, I pray that You'd help us as Your people to learn to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to Your voice, to look at Your facial expression. Lord, to come to know You in such an intimate way Lord, I heard a preacher say, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. If we seek you, Lord, we'll be part of that group of intimates, that group of people that you share your innermost thoughts with because we care enough to seek you, God. God, I pray that you would 
cause there to be a, a day of decision here. It wouldn't be, oh, that was a good message or that was interesting. But God, I pray in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would direct us to see how important it is that we take time to be with you, to seek you every day to be fed by you and to come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.